All right, thanks, John. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Now, 9-11 is heavy. 20-year anniversary is heavy. And there were many of you saying the right things. I appreciate what you said uh, to me and about the occasion. But there were still too many that were wearing Never Forget shirts. And yet, I was listening. I'm seeing people fighting about stupid things, about lies, and about misinformation. And it reminded me of a quote, because we're in a bad place. And I say that because I'm desperate for us to get to a better place. Our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be who we know we could be. That was true in the Civil War era when Emerson said it. And it is just as true now. That's a leader. That's the leadership we need. And we need a lot of leaders. Because... We can't stay where we are. You all know it. You tell me all the time. For the sake of our economy, our kids, our health, our status in the world, we can't keep getting weaker from the strains of division. And 9-11, 20 years on, is a window into who we once were during hard times and how we are now. And the man who led this country 20 years ago told you the truth to mark the 20th anniversary. We have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols. They are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Bush was in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. You remember that. It's where Americans and their allies on board took on terror, took down that plane, and saved who knows how many with their sacrifice. And there we had a president standing where people gave everything, and reminding you that we have lost what's got us through that hard time. Then came the reminder of why we are where we are, manifested in the appropriate agent for animus, Trump. The election was rigged, and that's what we got. That's what we got. If they fought the war the way they fought the election, where they stole it, I don't even say stole it, they rigged it. Yes. We would have had, this war would have been over 20 years ago. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't even know who he's talking about. His party was in charge on 9-11. Even on 9-11, not even respecting the memory of the dead or the first responders, he couldn't even spare them poison politics. He went on to try to discredit Bush and what he had said by saying, He lectures us that terrorists on the right are a bigger problem than those from foreign countries that hate America. He shouldn't be lecturing us about anything. The World Trade Center came down during his watch. That's what he is about, even on 9-11. And that, my brothers and sisters, and that's what we are. If we're not brothers and sisters here, then we are nothing at all. And to me, that's unacceptable. And I know it is to you as well. But we got to see the difference of what brought us together out of common concern and collective will to come back 20 years ago. 
when this country took on terror, when it held each other close. We weren't perfect. We had tons of fights. The Bush administration with the yellow cake BS and all that went to the wrong place for all intents and purposes. But the commitment was there. Today, what do we see? We're pushing each other away. We're making ourselves sick, literally and politically. The GOP of 9-11, which, by the way, was in control, they led us to come together and worked with Democrats to keep us safe. And then contrast that with what else you see. That shell, the soulless suggestion of what that party is today. Everyone's the enemy. Everything's bad. Everyone's bad. No collective concern for anything but the demise of Democrats and any perceived opponent. The majority wants this to stop. The majority is vaccinated. The majority does what it has to to keep themselves, their families, and their communities safe. So when will the majority demand that the tyranny of a toxic minority end? And yet, maybe we don't really want better. Most Republicans say they want Trump to remain as their leader of their party in our new poll, even after January 6th, even after a pandemic he all but ignored that killed hundreds of thousands. You need another reason to see why we need to get better? You may get one this week. There's, quote, concerning online chatter surrounding the September 18th justice for January 6th event. Because that means, I put it in quotes, that means the opposite of what it suggests. Justice for the 6th should be a reckoning for a day of infamy and criminality in the name of Trump and toxic principles. Yet the fevered few think those who attack the rest of us in the crucible of our democracy are somehow victims. Capitol Police have issued an emergency declaration to deputize outside law enforcement. Temporary fencing going up around the citadel of our democracy again. Why? To prepare for what Bush rightly called children of the same foul spirit. Like this guy. Capitol Police just arrested a California man today with a bayonet and a machete near the DNC headquarters. He had multiple knives in his truck. He had a swastika and all this other white supremacist BS. We haven't had another attack like 9-11 since that day. Thank God. Thank God. But you got to ask yourselves, would we hold together as we did then? How sad is it that the answer for so many of us has to be not an obvious yes? Let's ask a better mind where we are and what it suggests about where we're going. David Gregory traveled with then-President Bush on 9-11-2001 as a member of the White House Press Corps. Welcome back to primetime, brother. Let me ask you a question you pose to the rest of this country and beyond. How is your faith in where we are and where we're headed? Well, we're in such a different time than we were at 9-11. So what I... My faith in our collective belief in who we are in our institutions is lower. You know, I don't think that we have a sense of common cause in our national life. I don't think we have a sense that we're all in it together. I think we're really pulled apart. 
um, in ways that our media has contributed to, that governments contributed to, and that events have contributed to. So I think it's a lot harder to, uh, to pull in the, in the same direction. Um, and that's what I think is so regrettable. You know, you've talked a lot about 9-11. The thing that brings us together as a country is an external threat and an attack. And that's what 9-11 was. Um, that's what Pearl Harbor was. That's what the fight against Nazi Germany was. And I think we live in, in murkier times. Um, even though I think our basic humanity is intact in our communities in terms of looking after each other, my faith is diminished in our ability for big institutions to, to meet the challenges that we face. And by big institutions, I mean our politicians, our political parties, the ability to, to triumph, to get to we over over a collection of individual interests. Mm. I, I asked David, uh, how is your faith? It's the name of his book. It's really good. No matter what your belief system is, it's a, it's a really good book about suggestions about faith and what it means and how it manifests itself in life as a virtue, no matter what the basis for it is. Um, so, you know George W. Bush, you covered him. Uh, he does not court controversy, uh, especially post-presidency. Right. That was a very determined message to give on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. He did not have to say any of those things to check the box of what was expected from him. Were you surprised? And what do you think the motivation was? Well, I think he, he, his motivation is that he wants what's best for the country and that he wanted to speak out at a time and a place of his choosing to have some impact. And I think he, like a lot of Americans and certainly a lot of conservatives and, and opponents and critics of Trump, uh, found, as we all did, what happened on 9, January 6th to be reprehensible and to be something that simply cannot stand. And so I think he used the power of uh, his memory of pre as being president on 9-11 to make that statement. I think that's what motivated it. And it was surprising because he's gone out of his way to stay out of that. He, number one, he's always believed that he should exit the stage and stay off the stage. Two, I think that he understands that Trumpism was very much a reaction to him, to his strain of the Republican establishment, to launching the war on terror and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, a lot of Trumpism was about a rejection of the Bush presidency. Um, and so I think he felt in the Trump years that he only would make things worse um, if he had spoken out more. It's interesting, his numbers were way better. Uh, Vaughn, you got the numbers, right? Uh, you know, his low was the same as Trump's, about 34, which is usually about as low most presidents get. But uh, look at his yeah. mean average about where he was uh, when he was strong. This was their last rating, which is the same, 34%. But look at this, the average. 49 to 41. Uh, it's interesting that uh, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, many in this new era of the GOP see Bush uh, as some kind of problem for them, but he rated a lot higher than their boy. Well, right. Uh, but, but I think what's striking is that Trump as president, too, consolidated kind of the core of the Republican Party. I think he lost a lot of that, and I think that says something about his relative weakness going forward. But even when he was elected, I remember, you know, we were together on election night in 2016. You know, the, uh, 
Republicans came home for Trump and we didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. And I think they stayed around for him on things like the court and taxes and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, a rejection of the left. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Bush was, Bush suffered from a lot of things, but certainly by the end, it was the combination of Katrina and Iraq and a question of right. competence around But he the won GDP. a second term and you saw Trump lose everything. Yeah. Although I must, uh, you know, have to say, right. uh, the Republicans did a lot better in this last election than they were expected to. And I think that's because this right. country and, and, is divided. And we do have real concerns in this country about the left and how far it could push us. Though I heard Trump say something this week and then I was surprised he said, I don't think he meant to say it. He threw in some of his typical rhetoric about xenophobia of these Muslims who hate us coming here. He picked the wrong time to say that because a lot of his supporters are in favor of bringing people back home from Afghanistan right now, including the allies. And the idea he was talking about people from Afghanistan coming to this country right now. And I think he misfired on that. I do not think he's going to find support for that, given the context of how many veterans are trying to pull people who helped America out of that country and get them to safety. Yeah, I agree with that. And it, for Trump, it's just let's add another group to be afraid of and lump them in and say that they're terrorists. You know, I mean, and it's it's just it's uh, it's without any merit at all. Let's remember, going back to the earlier point, that Bush wins re-election in 2004, really around the strength, of, it's still around fear. You know, Karl Rove used to say, if the question is the war on, you know, is terrorism, the answer is George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. And he was still considered strong enough, and Iraq hadn't turned badly enough for it to hurt him in 2004. Um, and that's a key thing, right? I mean, the idea that fear of an external threat rallied Americans to such a degree, but that unity came apart because of the government's response, because of torture, Abu Ghraib, the war in Iraq, the excesses of, you know, digging into privacy, all of that unity started to fray. Um, and yet I was watching 60 Minutes last night and the story of the firefighters from the FDNY and the 343 who died. I mean, you're just reminded of how bonded together we were. That's not what Trump ever accomplished because what he did is reach to a narrow group of people to say, you must be afraid of all of these different people. Um, uh, but there was nothing, people didn't buy into that. Not, a, not enough people, uh, only enough, uh, yes, to get them elected, but I still think it's still a smaller part of what the GOP is to your point about the counter reaction on, on Afghans. Right, and I'll tell you, you know, he came out now, he's a former president. He wasn't with the other former presidents. He was meeting with the first responders. Right. He wasn't there during 9-11 when it first happened, I'll tell you. I don't know where he was, um, but he did not. Don, Donald Trump was not a force of any type of common concern and collective will during that time. I lived it. I right. was here. All of the big shots in this well, city were trying to help out. He wasn't in a position of power. I'm not saying he wasn't in politics, but I'm saying, you know, he's a president. He can speak about whatever he wants. But when 9-11 happened, right. he was no big presence. Last word to you. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's so sad for our institution of the presidency that we have a former president who is still acting like, a, like you know, he, he's kind of on parade in a carnival as opposed to trying at least to be some kind of a statesman, um, which is why, you know, people have lots of different views about President Bush if you go back to his presidency. But you and I have talked for years about what do you worry about about a president? How would they handle a 9-11? Um, and that is a test. It's the things you don't plan for. Um, and Trump had that on the pandemic. 
uh, on COVID and Bush had it on 9-11. And uh, people have made their judgments about how all of that went. One got a second term, one's Donald Trump. David Gregory, thank you very much. Yeah. The book again is How's Your Faith? Especially now, good read. Thanks, Chris. Be well, brother. The Democratic Thanks, Party all right, brother. is about to face one of its biggest tests since the November election. This recall matters. Gavin Newsom out in California, will he survive? The last time they tried this in California, it worked. Remember? Schwarzenegger. But the Wizard of Odds is here to show us how Republicans would need to make a different kind of history to win this time. It's time to pay attention. Next. Tomorrow is California's recall vote after early voting. The state's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, is hoping to stave off Republican-backed efforts to oust him. Remember how it works, right? It's two steps. One is, do you want the governor out? If he loses that vote, then you go to the second question of who do you want to be the governor? He's come under scrutiny, Newsom, for his handling of the pandemic and recent wildfires. Things really came to a head last November when Newsom was caught enjoying a lavish dinner with friends at an expensive French restaurant while the state was under partial lockdown. Despite the backlash and the gotcha media, Newsom is still polling ahead at 56 percent. That's eight points better than only a month ago. His closest challenger is a shocker, conservative radio host Larry Elder. He has long been the subject of controversy surrounding public statements he's made over the years. Here's just a taste. I've always felt that minorities and women complain too much about racism and sexism. Like it or not, slavery was legal. And so their property, their legal property was taken away from them after the after the Civil War. So uh, you can make an argument that the people that are owed reparations and not only just black people, but also the people whose, quote, property, close quote, was taken away after after the end of the Civil War. I think that I would rather have a George Zimmerman living in my neighborhood. This is why people profile. Instead of being angry at George Zimmerman, be angry at the minority, right. the thug who's committing these kinds of crimes. Okay. So there are all sorts of reasons why the 2020 election, in my opinion, was full of shenanigans. And my fear is they're going to try that uh, in this election right here in recall. Whether or not you win or lose, will you accept the results of the election tomorrow? I think we all ought to be looking at election integrity. Now, now that he's got a chance, right, that he's polling high, elders softening his talk makes sense. You see this? This shows you the stakes. President of the United States, Joe Biden, just landed in Long Beach, California. You know why? Because the recall has everybody worried. Joining me now is the Wizard of Oz, Harry Enten, to give us a preview of what may happen tomorrow and explain why do you care? I don't live in California. (laughs) All right, Wiz. So when we look at uh, this, here's my concern. The polls. Um, Should we be giving stock to the polls in this context? And what do you take from them? I give stock to the polls. And right now we know that a majority of voters say they're going to vote against recalls, 56 percent to 41 percent. And take a look here. If you look back at all the gubernatorial elections since 1998, with a polling miss of 15 points or more, it's just four out of 243 times. Now, obviously, this is a recall. It's an off-year election. But this number puts it in context. If the governor gets recalled tomorrow, it is going to be a polling miss for the ages. Gavin Newsom is heavily favored. That doesn't mean he'll necessarily win, but it would be quite surprising to me as someone who studies the numbers. How is Elder doing and why is he doing well? Well, what is doing well, right? You know, he leads in that second round, 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that most of the people who say they're going to vote in the second round want him. Look at that. He's only at 31% of the vote. Someone else, blank, don't know, at 69% of the vote. Compare that to the last recall, right, in 2003 that Schwarzenegger won. Look at the final poll back then. He was at 46% 46 of the vote, 15 points ahead of where Elder is right now. So that when voters are not just wondering about whether or not, you know, I want to, who I want to vote for in the second round, but who do I want to vote for in the first round, they got to realize, hey, maybe I don't necessarily want Elder. That wasn't really a problem for Schwarzenegger back in 2003 when there were plenty of voters who said, you know what, I'm willing to take a chance on him. So it's, it's interesting, as I'm looking at the numbers here, maybe the going full Trump the way Elder is isn't going to work in California as we've seen it work in other places. Schwarzenegger was a moderate. Uh, and there's nothing moderate about Larry Elder. So maybe that's not working as well, at least in this one race. I don't believe it's working as well. And here's the best way to know it's not working well. Look at the trend line in round one versus the trend line in round two, right? Round one is where you have to ask, okay, do I actually want to recall the governor? And look at this. A month ago, look at that. Against the recall was just at 48%. And Elder was at 20%. Then look at the trend line. 10 days ago, against recall, 52%. Elder went up 25%. Then Elder's at 31% now, 56% against recall. As voters have been seeing Elder gain ground in the second round, they're going, wait a minute, I don't want to go there. I don't want a chance that we might have Larry Elder as our governor. And that has very much been beneficial to Gavin Newsom. And I think one of the large reasons that Newsom has regained some strength in the polls is because voters are recognizing that if he is in fact recalled, Larry Elder is going to be one who's going to replace him. And in a Democratic state like California, the voters want no part of that. You know, Newsom was getting picked on for not talking about himself enough. And ironically, you had people on the right saying, you know, all he's doing is saying uh, about what's wrong with the people on the right. It worked, though. It's been moving his numbers. Fear sells. Now, larger implication. What's the president doing in California? This is just one governor's seat. Why do they care so much? Well, I think there are multiple reasons. I mean, one is, yes, you want a Democratic governor in the largest, most populated state in the union, but it could also have federal implications, right? Uh, we've already seen Gavin Newsom appoint one person in the United States Senate. He may, in fact, appoint another one down the line. We don't know what might happen. But more than that, it's about nationalizing the race. This is what Gavin Newsom wants to do. And you can see this. Look at this. Senators in states won by the other party in the last presidential election. There are just six of those. Just six of those at this particular point. Look back in 2003. It was 29. Voters were far more willing to give a shot to a Republican governor who might appoint a Republican senator than they are now. So this is just smart strategy from Gavin Newsom. Nationalize the race. We've seen it work in the polls. We'll obviously have to wait and see what happens tomorrow. But right now, Gavin Newsom has the right message, at least if you believe the polls. And you know what? I do, at least enough of the event that I would think that Gavin Newsom will not be recalled tomorrow. Again, it would just take such a large error for that to happen. So if he gets the majority tomorrow, then there is no second phase. No. He stays governor. That's exactly right. correct. You don't get a round two if the round one says no to the recall. Right. Harry Anton, the Wizard of Odds. Thank you, brother. Appreciate Th- you. Thank you, my friend. All right, to another governor saga. Florida's Ron DeSantis just allowed some wild COVID misinformation to spread from his own microphone. And he's issuing new threats to those following presidential guidance to help end this pandemic. I wanna take you through this. Don't say DeSantis is a dummy. He's an Ivy League educated lawyer who served this country. He knows what he's doing. The question is, why is he doing it? Next. 
the danger that COVID poses to your kids and mine is rising, quote, exponentially, okay? The American Academy of Pediatrics reports childhood cases increased 240% just since July. We know why. They're going back to school. And kids now account for almost 29% of all cases in this country. We know why. Because they're not vaccinated, many of them, and they're going back to school. Yet too many on the right are choosing to prolong the pain merely in the name of politics. Case in point, Mr. Don't Fauci Florida himself, Governor Ron DeSantis, tellingly chose to stand silently by while this nonsense took place at his own press conference today. Listen to this. The vaccine changes your RNA. So for me, that's a problem. So I, I'm here with you folks. Um, we don't want to have the, the vaccine. It's, it's about our freedom and liberty. DeSantis knows that's BS. He's a smart guy. He's got experts giving him the truth. He's Harvard and Yale educated. He's a lawyer. He knows, which may be why he started staring at the ground and shoving his hand in his pocket. When it was done and he returned to the mic, did he correct what that guy was just saying about how the vaccine changes your genetics? No. He shook the guy's hand and thanked him for coming. And that is beneath the office. All of this, by the way, comes as DeSantis is making it harder to do the one thing we know that works to get people vaccinated. Mandates. 77% of workers say they will or have gotten the shot if their employer requires it. Look, I don't know about you. I am not in any hurry to have the government tell me how to live my life. But what was plan B here? In a state with less than 10% of ICU beds available, DeSantis is now threatening to fine cities and counties that refuse to let a minority of both parties dictate the danger the rest of us face? And instead, require employees get vaccinated. The irony here, at the same time the right is slamming Biden for fining companies who don't adhere to vaccine mandates, whether it's been masks for kids or the vaccines, DeSantis keeps trying to frame this as a matter of choice while taking away the choice of local officials to do what works. It's our belief that, that this should be a parent's choice. What's basically a personal choice. I think it's their choice. I think that should be the choice of the parent. Yes, but choices have consequences. Choose not to get your kids vaccinated. You don't get to go to public schools or pretty much any school, right? You don't have to take the vaccine. That's not what's being done here. But you don't get to not do what keeps everybody else safe and then get to live the way that you want to because you are forcing the rest of us not to live the way that we want. The choice DeSantis is making, okay, just as he stood silent in the face of BS he knows isn't true, is to play this to advantage even if it works to the disadvantage of so many that are under his care. While the number of deaths in his state keep heading in the wrong direction, he is being defiant of what is right. And it raises a question. Do these defiant governors who are all on the right really want to prolong the pandemic? Do they really believe it won't come back to haunt them one day? Let's take it to a man who is dead in the middle. Michael Smirkanish, next. 
It's an interesting place Republicans find themselves in. They finally made inroads on their crusade to overturn Roe v. Wade. That is a very real situation. Remember, stare decisis only means what the next set of judges who review the law want it to mean. That Texas ruling from the Supreme Court, that tells you that Roe v. Wade is in play. And yet we aren't seeing many Republicans throw parades about this small victory. Why? Because like their vaccine mandate pushback, they know they're playing small ball. They're catering to a minority. And the actions that come with the talk could also come with a heavy price. The question now is, will they wind up owning these decisions and losing because of them? Let's discuss with Michael Smirkanish. Now, Smirk, this is a little bit uh, on the abortion side, reproductive rights side, a little tricky. Let's do that second. On the vaccine side, DeSantis stands next to a guy who just runs some BS about what the vaccine does to your body. He knows it's not true, but he says nothing. Because what is his play? Well, I see the issue similarly. I see the abortion issue and the vaccine issue in the same light, which is, and I love the way that you just set it up, it's, it's a short game. It's not a long game. You can sell this to the base. You can sell this in primary season if you're running for the presidency. This is not a strategy for winning a general election in a presidential race. And the best I can offer you, Chris, is to say that they think they'll worry about it later. Because in the short term, they're all towing the exact same line. Ask yourself this. Why doesn't former President Donald Trump own the vaccine? Why isn't this his issue 24-7? Why isn't he the one out there talking about Operation Warp Speed, which, by the way, I think he's got a right to do, Mm -hmm. but he hardly ever brings it up. And the reason is because, like the rest of those on the right, He's afraid of that base. He doesn't want to antagonize them. In Alabama, a couple of weeks ago, he mm-hmm. raised the prospect of people getting vaccinated. And when there were a couple of cat calls from the audience, he immediately backed off and said, hey, you know, it's your choice, just like that guy who was speaking before DeSantis. So it's all about driving the base and not a long-term strategy of winning general elections. Now, the vaccine is a new issue. Reproductive rights is not. And the operative understanding for the right has been talk the talk, but you're not going to walk the walk. So you get it both ways. You're not going to piss off the majority, including in their own party, that does not want reproductive rights completely stripped from women. But you get to say the right things for the Christian value set. What happens if the law does change? Right. So this is a be careful what you wish for. And as I was listening to you describe the background circumstances, I was thinking on Ronald Reagan's watch. Remember, Reagan, as president, very pro-life in his philosophy. But, you know, every year, Chris, there used to be a gathering. There still is on Capitol Hill of of pro-life forces. And it always struck me that Ronald Reagan would communicate with them sitting in the Oval Office instead of going out and making an appearance before the group. And I think that said a lot. It was always pay lip service, keep everybody at arm's length. Do what you need to do to keep the evangelicals in the tent, but don't get too close. 
This Texas situation is frightening for Republicans, and I think they know it. You could never sell in suburbia a six-week time frame. The Mississippi law, now that I think is the more significant challenge at 15 weeks. I do not believe that the Supreme Court is going to pay heed to the Texas law. I know about the 5-4 vote. That law was very cleverly crafted so that it really couldn't be challenged at an early stage. And they were careful in that 400-word order to say that they weren't necessarily buying into the constitutionality of it. I say keep your eye on Mississippi, the 15 weeks, and what develops there. I don't expect Roe will be totally overturned, but if it were, I think it brings out Democrats in droves in the midterm and presidential elections. Probably not just Democrats. Put up the numbers uh, from Quinnipiac uh, recently in May about uh, where people are on this issue. And we've actually seen, even among Catholics, uh, a movement on this. Uh, the uh, 73 Roe v. Wade, you know, do you agree or not agree with it? It's, you know, it's, it's 63-28. Um, those are not the kinds of numbers where you find yourself wanting to engage the 28. Um, but... This is the interesting play here. I mean, I really believe so far in terms of issues, this is the most stark one that goes to what you talk about all the time, Mike, which is what is the cost of catering to a minority? Right. And I guess the response to that would be that despite what your numbers show, that the passion on the issue, if you could poll passion within those numbers, you would find that that meter would swing more toward conservatives Historically, the court issue, talking about who you want to appoint justices to the Supreme Court, has been a Republican issue, more than a Democratic issue in the last couple of decades. I think Roe is different. I think this is the one judicial, legal issue that would really have a, uh, a reverse effect and, and pose harm to the GOP, even if they won't say so today. I'll tell you what, uh, there are very few issues that unite all three generations of women in my family. And it never gets to the idea of the pregnancy. It's you don't tell me. They don't even want to hear me talking about it, to be honest. But it's you don't tell me what I do with my body. Ninety. Well, my mother's uh, 62 years old and uh, my wife is uh, very young and <laughs> my and daughter is 18. And all three of them. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens if this court takes that law away. Then where's the passion? Michael Smirconish. Always a pleasure, brother. I almost got myself in real trouble there with the ages, but I didn't. Thank you. All right. The first hearing on our ugly exit from Afghanistan was held today on the Hill. The Secretary of State came. He had a lot to say. Now, he didn't come, actually, and that was part of the thing. They didn't come in person. But Tony Blinken reassured that we, meaning America, is going to bring home all the Americans and Afghan allies. Plus, an update on Sarah, the trapped American, the former interpreter. We've had her on this program. I got a veteran who's trying to help her. And what the reality is of the politics on the ground. Next. Thank you for caring. Thank you for helping the veterans and the allies. It's not left and right. It's just reasonable. And the reasonable thing to do is everything we can to get Americans and allies back here. An update on the American stranded in Afghanistan who we've been calling Sarah, the former interpreter. She's an American citizen. She doesn't want to leave without being able to take some of the kids who qualify, she says, for an SIV visa. 
She sent a new video showing her and the kids that she's still trying to get out. Faces are blurred, again, because there is danger. We don't want people to be able to identify them, but I do want you to be able to relate to the need. They've been able to get some food and were told some medicine. The bigger news is that Sarah has been in touch with the State Department. Good news? Let's bring in Sam Rogers, one of the veterans whose group is working with other groups and other veterans and allies to help people like Sarah and these kids get out of there. Sam, it's good to have you. Again, thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for having me on, Chris. I appreciate all your support. What's the update? So uh, Sarah's had a couple of conversations with the State Department. Um, though I have to be honest, uh, her feedback from the State Department is directly in conflict with Secretary Blinken's comments today that we will continue uh, the relentless efforts to help Americans, Afghans, and uh, foreign nationals who want to leave. Uh, she's under the impression that she's the only one uh, who can get out. And uh, she's dealing with some, some really crippling guilt and some challenging questions of, does she leave these people behind and can she? Now, let's talk about the legitimacy here. The people she wants to help, what do you know about paperwork and any way of verifying that they have, not the right, but the credentials that America would smile on in terms of helping people? Right, Chris. So, so we've made available um, everything we've got, um, you know, military identification, uh, letters of recommendation from uh, military officers who these translators and their, their families served under. Uh, and we've made all that available to not only the State Department, but some of these other groups who are working diligently to try to find them options to get out of the country. So when they say no, you can't bring them with you, what is their reason? There hasn't, there hasn't, been, a, there hasn't been one yet. Um, she's hoping, she's praying that they're going to reach back out uh, and let her know, um, you know, what options she has. But in the meantime, you know, that communication, they're really only willing to communicate directly with her, um, not through any intermediaries, which, you know, for security and privacy purposes, I understand, although it does make our job more challenging. Can't she identify you as an agent? Um, I, you know, that's something that's uh, that's something that we could explore. But, you know, right now she's in a place with with no power, with limited connectivity. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of really pressing challenges. Uh, which is really the whole idea of, of flying people to these third-party countries in right. the first place to do that initial round of, of, of vetting that can't be done safely in Afghanistan. So you believe, you know, I mean, she's very passionate. Uh, do you believe her when she's saying, I'm not leaving if I can't take these kids? I'll go talk to the Taliban before I do that. I, I can feel the pain in her voice when I talk to her on the phone. I can hear the exhaustion in her voice. She doesn't want to leave these people. She doesn't believe that it's in our DNA as Americans. She's, she's proud of being an American, and she doesn't believe that that's part of the American idea. And I don't, think that, I don't think that Americans feel that way either. I think that, you know, nor, here's how normal people feel about this, Chris. Uh, over the Labor Day weekend, uh, CVA Foundation uh, set up a booth at the House of Harley-Davidson in Milwaukee to tell people about this issue and collect refugee supplies. People said a biker rally is a weird place to try to collect supplies for Afghanistan refugees. We talked to over 2,500 people in a weekend, and they donated $150,000 worth it. of supplies. I believe it. And, because and the country when I made took a those to country 100%, made a promise. it's who we are. Yeah, country it's made a promise. It's what we do. This is net left, right, bikers, 
They care about the country like everybody else. It's just being reasonable. Sam Rogers will stay on it and thank you. Be right back thank with you, the handoff. Chris. It was a very interesting prison uh, principle distilled by Michael Smirkanish tonight. What does somebody want to own in politics? Look around and see what do different people who want you to listen to them, what do they want to own? Don Lemon tonight starts with its big star, D. Lemon, right now. D is very familiar with this idea. You know, what do you want to own? Do you want to own that the vaccine was bad? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Not long term. It is sketchy, which is why Trump doesn't own the vaccine the way he could. He could say, hey, I brought it to you. Everybody should bring it. Look how good everything is because of the vaccine. Take it, take it. He doesn't because he got booed in Alabama and he knows that there are too many in the base he doesn't want to upset. Do they want to own removing Roe v. Wade and telling women from 8 to 80, you don't get to decide on your body. Let's say from 18 to 80, because yeah. voting age. Yeah. You don't get to determine. We're talking about freedom and freedom of choice when it comes to the vaccine, mm-hmm. but not for you, ladies. Yeah, well, and do you want to own this sort of in run around the legal system and what is uh, should be constitutionally correct and possible when and if Democrats one day want to do a similar law for taking guns or people who are anti-guns? What if they say, well, we can do this in our state for, for guns. So why don't we do that? And then the Supreme Court won't be able to challenge us and we can go around and get in your guns. I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a hypothetical. But that's what conservatives should really be concerned about is what is this? What does this set a precedent for? Are you setting a precedent in the future? I know you think it's a win when it comes to Roe v. Wade, but it is also a win for your opponents when it comes to other laws that you may not like and that you're trying to get an end run. They're trying to get an end run around. That's what you, and do you, want to, do you want to, something that has to do with exactly what is happening now, do you want to be, and we've got, we have a big, um, a big in-depth investigation on it in our show now. Drew Griffin is going to do it. The party who cries foul every time an election doesn't go your way, it's rigged. You know, the guy out in California now, the talk show guy who's running, who's, you know, trying to have, is the leader in the recall, setting up an election fraud hotline already. He's losing. Hold on a second. He's the leader except for anybody else. Yeah, but that guy. It's 69% (laughs) is anybody else. That guy who's like a Twitter troll. No, not at all. And he's a Twitter troll. He's always like trying to goad me and he's me and anybody else. He wants to get on the show. He wants to, I just, I, people like that who should be ignored. And that's what I do. I don't know about other people. But for years, this guy has been trying. To, I'm like, who is this guy? Why does he keep like telling says me? Says something. It says something that he's leading the pack on the right. Uh, it says something yeah, about says where something. they are. It's, yes, it Amen. says something about where they that. are. And I think it makes the answer to a lot of your questions. Yes. That's yes, what they, they want do want to be the ones who say the elections are all rigged. Yes, they do want to play short ball and get the wins when they can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was the same argument they used with the Democrats about the filibuster, right? And the Democrats to this point don't have the votes uh, to blow it open and see what happens. Uh, It would be interesting to see what the Republicans would do. Now, people will say, well, no, no, that's not fair. The Republicans could have done it and they chose not to. They didn't need to. Mm -hmm. 
Have they ever shown that they won't do what they need? Look what they're doing with the vaccines. The same people who are telling you it's a freedom of choice for you to get it as if there'll be no consequence <laughs> it's not are a, all vaccinated. Yeah, all vaccinated. And, and their places of employment have vaccination rules and policies. And they're, they're saying it's a freedom of choice. My body, my choice. But they're not saying that in Texas. They're not saying that when it comes to that law. They're saying at the same time, how dare you fine us for this? Yeah. And DeSantis wants to fine schools that tell kids to put on masks. Look. I'm telling you. This is not that hard, Chris. What'd you say? This is not that hard. It's just a little piece of, and you know you can hear me. Don't try that craziness. It's not that hard. What are you going to, is it that hard to put a piece of cloth over your face? It's your to choice. It's your choice. It's my, it's, okay, let me tell you this. It's your choice. No, it, it, it is my choice. And you know what is my choice? Is that I have a, 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 a coworker who has a compromised immune system. So my choice is to be a real person, a, a, a citizen, someone who cares about other people, and to wear this mask into the office, even though I'm fully vaccinated. Amen, Even amen. though that I get tested all the time. That is my choice. It's not my choice to compromise that person. Amen. And yeah. if it is, it is your choice. Nobody's saying that you must take the vaccine. You don't get to go where we're going to be. I agree. Then you, know, you don't I, I, get to go where we're going to be because we don't have to. The majority, people who did the right thing, don't get to live at the yeah. behest of a minority. Yeah. It's not how it works. Well, you know, I've been saying that since the beginning, and I got a whole lot of guff for it, saying, hey, if you, maybe you shouldn't be doing that, and that there should be vaccine mandates, but you know what I got called, but I stand by that, and there should be. Just like you can't go to school, you can't send your kids to school. You have three kids who've gone to school, they have to be Look, vaccinated. we've already had, not, not yeah. us, but I'm saying the society has decided. Yeah. Mumps, polio, rubella, smallpox. I don't even know how effective any of those vaccines are. Yeah. I just do it because I know that's how my kids go to school. I do it because the science tells me that But it's I'm effective. saying, look, yeah. if I thought there was no science for it, that'd be yeah. different. But we've all you accepted what, this already. This isn't to, a new issue. Can we, we, I'm gonna, I wish I had her number. I would give you Nicki Minaj's phone number so you could text her after this to talk about science and what it really means. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen the whole thing. No. Go check it out. You know me better than that. <laughs> I got it right. I had to figure out who that even was for a second. <laughs> I thought she was playing for the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who the Manning brothers were talking about tonight? That's funny. See you later. Love I love you, you D. Love you too. This I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.